Once upon a time, two friends began sharing their dreams, literally. We wrote them down in the wee hours and unpacked them with each other via text upon waking, finding inspiration in their symbolism. Our dreams taught us that divine fingerprints are everywhere and can illuminate a path to Jesus Christ. I am Sarah. And I am Megan. And this is Dreamsicle. Join us as we learn to pay attention and find revelation for our lives hiding in plain sight. So I had this dream about my dad one time in the dream. My husband and I had picked up my mom to take her to dinner at this like really fancy restaurant. I don't know. It was super Mm -hmm. fancy. We walked in and like it was very dark, like mood lighting. The table was decorated like really beautifully and it had like little clusters of grapes at each table setting not like relief society grapes no this was like <laughs> like the glass really grapes classy. <laughs> <laughs> they were real grapes like little <laughs> tiny ones anyway it was just the table setting was really lovely and we sat down at this round table and i looked to my left and my dad was sitting there he was grinning at me like so happy and I was like hey like fancy seeing you here I was so excited to see him and he held up his hand like to do a high five and so I went to high five him and we missed oh my god like, so us <laughs> and then we tried again and we like we like weakly smacked hands in oh this gosh. really awkward high five. <laughs> and then he like started jokingly like tapping my hand over and over, which is like something that he did all the time in real life. So as I was having this dream, I was like, I don't think I'm imagining this. Like this is my dad. <laughs> yeah. This is his personality. He's really like showing up and it really felt to me like one of those dreams that was more like a visit. Yeah. He was really there. That's so cool. I love it. After I had that dream, incidentally, I looked up the meaning of grapes, like what they symbolize, and it's Jesus Christ. Elder Holland has said that the Savior tread the wine press of redemption unaided. He was alone. And it was almost like, I don't know, the instruction in this dream was there's a place at the table for everyone, and and here's this symbol of the grapes at your place setting, because that's the way back home. And our whole family can come back together. We just have to take our place at the table. So... Anyway, speaking of angels, you know how whenever there's a talk and they say they're going to talk about angels, they typically talk about humans only, (laughs) humans that they describe as angelic. People that are all around us like our angelic mothers. (laughs) Oh, angel mother, not one of my favorite phrases. (laughs) Or just like good people, which we know and believe exist. But then I'm like, yeah, I totally noticed this phenomenon (laughs) because it's like, they say they're going to talk about angels, and I get very excited. And then they talk about good people. And I'm like, yeah, I know that there are good people. <laughs> I know. I want to hear your angel stories, though. We also believe in, like, actual angels, like heavenly beings that yeah. influence our lives in very real it's ways. True. I think the guide to the scriptures gives a pretty good definition of what we are talking about when we refer to angels. So it says there are two kinds of beings in heaven who are called angels. There are those who are spirits and those who have bodies of flesh and bone. Angels who are spirits have not yet obtained a body of flesh and bone, or they are spirits who have once had a mortal body and are awaiting resurrection. So it's either people that have not yet been born that are in the pre-mortal life, or people that have lived and died, or people that have lived and died and then resurrected or translated. 
I think that covers all of them. Yeah. Well, and it, I mean, with, with our understanding of, you know, our pre-mortal existence and then life in the spirit world after we cross the veil, it's like we know that these spirits don't cease to exist and the spirit world is here. It's right on earth. They're I mean, among us. Right. Elder Mark E. Peterson taught, many people no longer believe in the ministry of angels, but God does. And he uses an exclamation point there, by the way. God does. He believes in (laughs) angels. He has used this means of communication from the days of Adam. So it's like, even if people are thinking like, oh, I don't, I've never seen an angel or people don't talk about it in their conference talks. It's something that God believes in because they're real. They are real. And actually, I mean, there is this thing that happens where people say in conference that they're going to talk about angels and then they talk about earthly good people. But there are, if you dig enough, there are a lot of conference talks that reference actual angels, like this real doctrine we believe in. Yeah, same thing with church history. Yeah, there's they're all over the place. And read anyone's journal, like anywhere in the church and... Somewhere they've had a family member that had an experience and it's been passed down. So the rest of that Mark E. Peterson quote says, The Lord also teaches that over the ages, if angels have ceased to appear, it is because of unbelief and the spirit of apostasy among men. But where there is faith, the ministry of angels will last as long as the earth shall stand. I mean, angels are around us. It's, It's happening as long as we're faithful. Yeah. Actually, I just recently learned, I mean, it makes sense, but like our belief in angels is, it's like a really fundamental part of the restoration. This is the part I did not know. So we we tend to reverence and be grateful for like all of the work that the reformers did in kind of paving the way for the restoration. One of the first things the Protestants did to the Book of Common Prayer was to strip it of all references to and prayers for the dead. So Luther, Martin Luther wanted to sever the connection between the living and the dead. And the Restoration really reformed and redressed what the Reformation had done and brought these two realms back together. And it's like... That's interesting because the Reformation had to take place in order for like yeah. the religious awakening to happen and like people coming to the new world. And right. A new religion being born here, the restoration of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And yet it wasn't complete until the restoration commenced. Yep. So once the restoration did begin and we did have kind of this reclaimed doctrine of angels as being real. It's like we can see through scripture and through our church history that it has always been there. This is what Jeffrey R. Holland said. From the beginning down through the dispensations, God has used angels as his emissaries in conveying love and concern for his children. Time in this setting does not allow even a cursory examination of the scriptures or our own Latter-day history, which are so filled with accounts of angels ministering to those on earth. And then he goes on to kind of distinguish that usually they're not seeing these beings, angelic beings. Sometimes they are, but whether or not we see them, he says they are always near. He says sometimes their assignments are very grand and have significance for the whole world. Think Joseph Smith in the Sacred Grove. And he says, sometimes the messages are more private. Occasionally, the angelic purpose is to warn, but most often it is to comfort, to provide some form of merciful attention and guidance in difficult times. So really, it's like personal, you know, typically. Yeah. And I I love that their purpose often is to provide comfort or some form of merciful attention, I think. Yeah. That's just really sweet that like our heavenly parents love us enough that they'll be like, here, go tend to Sarah. She needs a little merciful attention right now. Sending an actual angel. Yeah. Okay. So I think back to that quote by Elder Holland, 
I think when we, you know, kind of sit back and process that this has been from the beginning down through the dispensations, like we tend to believe that and agree with it. And we see it throughout the scriptures and even throughout like early church history. But like a lot of things that maybe feel a little bit more unusual or sacred, I think it's easy to think that like that doesn't really happen as much now. Hmm. I mean, so we can, I think we see like experiences with angels are happening, but whether or not people are talking about it openly is an entirely different matter. And so we've seen like a frequent discussion by apostles about the sacred nature of such experiences. It's And they're not, I read so many different quotes relating to this. It's not that they are denying the experiences at all. They simply state in some cases that like human words are limited in describing our interactions with angels on the one hand, or that it may be that we don't feel like we can share it publicly because it's too sacred. I mean, I don't think that means we can't share it in the right setting, like when we feel prompted to perhaps with family or in other settings. Like on a podcast. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I think we should be clear that we're not sharing everything. Right. In this setting. Like we have had experiences that we don't feel we can share here, that they are so special and sacred and they're just for a certain audience. So it's not like we're getting on the podcast and just spouting all of it. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Because we agree some of those things aren't for public consumption. Right. And sometimes they're not ours to share. Like they're related to someone else. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. If you've been listening for very long, you know that I'm a fan of Brian Krishnick. <laughs> so am I. He talked about in an interview, he, and I actually like listened to it, and I went back and I wrote, like I transcribed what he said because I really liked it. He said that we tend to scrub the sacred in the past mm. and just like make it look so perfect that it feels like inaccessible to us. He said, we tend to scrub the sacred in the past and I feel like it robs us of experiences of the sacred in the present because our current sacred experiences also have messy elements. I also think that sometimes we tend to diminish them because it's not what happened to Joseph or to Jesus or to Moses. And I think it is what happened to Joseph and Jesus and Moses. Like they were also mortal. You know, they had messiness in their lives. And he said someone walking by in Jerusalem would not have known that it was Jesus because he was glowing and beautiful and perfectly kept. Mm. And I, I don't know. I like that because I think we even do that with church history, like pioneer stories that it just seems so perfect, even though there was obviously like suffering and heartache, but something about like their faith being so, so strong that like, we feel like we're not like that. Therefore we will not have similar experiences, but I don't think it's true. I think. Well, yeah. And then it's like the idea of, Oh, miracles don't happen now. Like angelic visitations don't happen now because that only happened in the Bible. We don't talk about it anymore. Well, it's like in Moroni, just like you referenced earlier, where there's faith, the ministry of angels. Oh, Moroni 736? Yeah. Well, I mean, if we want to know if angels are still coming to help us, we can just listen to an apostle because Elder Holland said, I testify the angels are still sent to help us, even as they were sent to help Adam and Eve, to help the prophets, and indeed to help the Savior of the world himself. Um, that's pretty clear. Yeah. And Mormon said to his son Moroni, has the day of miracles ceased? Or have angels ceased to appear unto the children of men? Or has he withheld the power of the Holy Ghost from them? Behold, I say unto you, nay, for it is by faith that angels appear and minister unto them. I mean, that just like shuts down like there are no angels. Right. But whether or not people are comfortable talking about them is another story. So another thing Elder Holland said in a separate talk, actually, I think it was something he wrote 
I don't know that it was ever spoken. He wrote, I believe we need to speak of and believe in and bear testimony of the ministry of angels more than we sometimes do. Which, I don't know, we also have quotes saying like, sacred experiences should be held sacred and and private you know written in a journal or like only shared with the closest of family members but i think we also have leaders that are not that we're like desanctifying the sacred but i feel like this kind of falls under the same realm as what elder bednar talked about in his talk about the temple and how like it's very clear what we are not to discuss outside of the temple and yet we have for years had this like blanket <laughs> like we silence do not discuss it. the temple outside of the temple but and there's nobody understands anything yeah, about what prepared. to expect or right and yet if you go to the church's website and look at information about the endowment it's very much spelled out except yeah. for those things that you <laughs> covenant not to share outside of the temple so I wonder if we've kind of done the same thing with like quote unquote sacred experiences where we consider just about anything spiritual that happens to be sometimes too sacred to share. But like, are they? Because in the scriptures, we have so many, like we would not have the scriptures if those writing them hadn't recorded and shared their sacred experiences. We know that there are places in scripture where they were specifically commanded not to record things that were too sacred, but those were things they were specifically told not to share. Right. Like not everything. Some things had to be shared or we wouldn't have scripture. Right. (laughs) Well, I did a little bit of looking and this is what some prophets and apostles have said. So James E. Faust said that the Gethsemanes of our lives sometimes are too sacred to be shared publicly. He doesn't say always. So I think that in that case, it's like discernment is needed to know when and where, because it's kind of like you don't want to share it in the wrong context or with the wrong audience where it's not going to be meaningful or devalue the experience. Um, Elder Uchtdorf said our spiritual experiences are sometimes too sacred to explain in worldly terms, but that, that does not mean they are not real. So he's like validating them, but just saying sometimes we don't have the language to effectively describe it. And Neil L. Anderson said, some experiences are so sacred that we guard them in our spiritual memory and do not share them. Again, he does not say all experiences, but maybe some. I have heard people talk about angels before, like experiences with like family members, ancestors, people who have died, their loved ones. And they have been like the most touching, like precious stories. Right. And really faith promoting. Faith promoting. Yeah. Like they sustain my faith. I think when we share experiences like that, then we feel that perhaps there's a possibility that something similar could happen to me (laughs) kind of thing. And, and it's, I don't know. I think yeah, it like kind of just, opens the door even more than hearing it in a general conference talk. It's like, oh, my neighbor had this experience. Then it feels more accessible. Yeah, like it could happen to you and then you're maybe more open and receptive yeah, to those and promptings. Paying attention. You mentioned ministry of angels, which is what the Aaronic priesthood holds the key of. Right. And there was that Oaks talk about it, like how yeah. we access that. Yeah. It was really good. And it's interesting that like the lower beginner priesthood holds the ministry of angels. Right. Because that seems like such a powerful unlocking of yeah. like a big thing. I know. So this is what President Oak said. What does it mean that the Aaronic priesthood holds the key of the ministering of angels and of the gospel of repentance and of baptism and the remission of sins? The meaning is found in the ordinance of baptism and in the sacrament. Baptism is for the remission of sins and the sacrament is a renewal of the covenants and blessings of baptism. Both should be preceded by repentance. When we keep the covenants made in these ordinances, we are promised 
that we will always have his spirit to be with us. The ministering of angels is one of the manifestations of that spirit. So it's like inviting the ministering of angels to be around us and with us when we're keeping the covenants of baptism and taking the sacrament. That's powerful because those seem like fairly basic things. And if that's what it takes to unlock the ministry of angels, that's pretty big. I Yeah, and the Aaronic priesthood is like the beginner priesthood, so yeah. to speak. The lower lesson. Right. And yet it can it already invites this ministry of angelic beings. I don't know. That does seem big. President Packer also spoke about how we are worthy of or can tap into the ministering of angels. He said, angels attend the rank and file of the church, which P.S. I hate the term rank and file. Yeah, I hate it too. (laughs) Like we're just back in steerage here. (laughs) It's the cattle. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Who would dare to say that angels do not now attend the rank and file of the church who answer the calls to the mission fields, teach the classes, pay their tithes and offerings, seek for the records of their forebears, work in the temples, raise their children in faith, and have brought this work through 150 years. And I love that. He's basically saying, if you're trying to be a faithful member of the church, you are being ministered to by angels. Mm. That is so good. It's like that story from Second Kings about Elisha. Yeah. So Elisha's kingdom is being surrounded by like some invading horde. It says in verse 15, And when the servant of the man of God was risen early and gone forth, behold, an host encompassed the city, both with horses and chariots. And his servant said unto him, Alas, my master, how shall we do? And he answered, Fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. This is what President Eyring said about that. Like that servant of Elisha, there are more with you than those you can see opposed to you. Some who are with you will be invisible to your mortal eyes. I mean, it's a really beautiful principle of like angels roundabout ministering to us that we can count on that and believe in it even when we can't see them. So who are these angels? Well, in my experience, they're family members. I think like most families of members of the church, there are stories of experiences that have happened with angels, the proximity, the volume, the accessibility of angels. There was one with my mom when she was cleaning out her parents' house after they had both passed away. She was emptying a closet and it had a shelf that was like really deep and it went way back like under the stairs and she was standing on a chair and she was pulling things out and she couldn't reach I think she had like a yardstick or something in her hand and she was using it to like pull things from the recesses of this (laughs) this deep shelf and she she kind of felt something in the back and she could not get it and she thought well my brother will get it when he finishes emptying the house. And she started to climb down from the chair and she heard her mother's voice, my grandma Lila's voice say, look again. And she knew it was her mother talking to her. And so she climbed back up, she got the yardstick and she just, she kind of like worked a little harder and she ended up pulling out this handmade quilt that was like stuck in the back of this closet. And she was she knew that her mother wanted her to find it. Yeah. And so she'd encouraged she'd encouraged her to look again and she was grateful that she did. I love it. So I think that's just like a such a perfect example of what Elder Holland said. The angelic purpose is to provide comfort or some form of merciful attention. Because it's like, I mean, did your mom have to find the quilt? No, but like... No, it was tender mercy. So sweet. So sweet. And quilts are like 
my mom's jam. She loves them <laughs> and sees it as a connection to her mother and her grandmother. So my sister, Sarah, I'm, has told me she's had several experiences with my grandma Wilcox and they have like a connection that I think is really sweet. I'm sharing this with her permission. So Sarah is an expert thrifter. She loves thrift shopping and vintage clothing and all the good finds. And she said one day she was browsing at DI. Anyway, she'd been there for a while and looking through different racks and was about ready to leave. And she said she felt my grandma Wilcox with her and she felt her like prompting her to go to the specific rack and look in the back of it. And she went directly to this Kate Spade top. What? (laughs) She, She loved and she was like, Grandma wanted me to find that. My grandma Wilcox was like a fashion icon. She was really always fashionable and just so stylish and put together. And (laughs) my sister's like, she like went shopping with me. I love that. Like she's just watching the things come into DI and she's like, I'm bookmarking this for my granddaughter. She will love it. (laughs) Well, it's a sweet story because again, Sarah would live without the Kate Spade top, (laughs) but it was this really beautiful moment with my grandma where she felt her there and that they had a connection. So great. I love it. I know. I love it too. Joseph S. Smith talks about how our family members that have lived before us are these messengers and angels that minister to us. He said, when messengers are sent to minister to the inhabitants of this earth, They are not strangers, but from the ranks of our kindred and friends. In like manner, our fathers and mothers, brothers, sisters, and friends who have passed away from this earth, having been faithful and worthy to enjoy these rights and privileges, may have a mission given them to visit their relatives and friends upon the earth again, bringing from the divine presence messages of love, of warning, of reproof, and instruction to those whom they have learned to love in the flesh. Mm. I believe it. I mean, yeah, I have experienced this with my dad. I ironically feel closer to him now than I did in life. I mean, we had a good relationship, but I feel his presence so much, so much. I have a lot of dreams about him and they're very real. One of the first dreams I had about him after he passed away, it was so real. He was wearing like this old time, like English hunting garb outfit, like tweeds, Ooh. <laughs> like the matching hat. And he had like a shotgun, you know, like right. unfolded. Like over straight his, out of the crown. Straight out of the crown, <laughs> which is funny because my dad loved like bird hunting, but <laughs> never wore an outfit like that ever. <laughs> <laughs> But I, I felt like it was showing me like, this is, this is me. This is the same me who, you know, loved hunting and all of that. And he, in the dream, he walked up, we were outside near the family cabin and he gave me a hug and I, I felt the hug. Like I felt it. And I said to him like, whoa, you're really here. I can feel that. I love it. And he, he said to me, it's amazing what we can do when we open ourselves up. Wow. And it was like, oh my gosh, he really is here. I had a dream long before my niece Beatrice was born that my whole family was at a national park, which is very on brand for us. And we were outside of like a cabin where we were staying. And I looked up on the roof and there was a toddler in a diaper, like running around on the roof of this cabin. And nobody seemed to notice, but I was like, uh, there's a baby up there. Like, I think we need to be concerned about this. And the baby got to the edge of the roof and fell off and my dad caught the baby. Oh my goodness. I don't know. I felt like that was kind of prescient, you know, things to come. And then my mom had a dream about my dad long before Beatrice again, where he was sitting in a, like a tube rafting down a river And he was holding a little girl on his lap and they were just laughing and splashing together, like having 
the best time. So that was pretty special too. And then just recently I had a dream. It was so real. I thought it was happening. I dreamed that my cell phone was ringing next to my bed, but like I always keep my phone on silent. So it was vibrating. So I reached over to grab it and it said, dad calling. And in my phone, my dad's number was put in as dad cell. Why? I don't know. It was years and years ago. And, but it didn't say that it said dad, just dad calling. And I thought, and then I woke up and realized, oh, okay, that was a dream. And yet it was so real. And I felt from that dream, like he was sending me a message of like, I'm seriously always around. Like I'm always here. And it just said dad because he doesn't use the, the cell he doesn't phone. Use his cell phone <laughs> anymore. He doesn't have to. I love it. missionary in Brazil, we had a mission conference where Elder Irene came and visited and spoke to us, and it was so, so good. I actually had to play the piano. Oh my gosh. And so for like our four hours of service every week, my mission president's wife was like, your service is to just practice. Find the (laughs) piano and practice. It was so nerve-wracking. Anyway, because I took a year of lessons. One year. (laughs) Angels were helping you play those hymns. (laughs) Okay, so (laughs) Elder Irene came and he, there's, you know, this scripture that was one of President Monson's favorites. It's one that I think a lot of us love, that especially missionaries love. It's Doctrine and Covenants 8488. It says, I will go before your face. I will be on your right hand and on your left. My spirit shall be in your heart and mine angels round about you to bear you up. And in the talk he gave, he, he said, now, who are those angels? And the way he taught us, I loved, I loved this idea because it kind of changed how I thought about it and how I went about my mission. He said that the angels that were attending us as we like approached a person or a door or a house were the ancestors and the unborn relatives of the people that we were about to speak with, and that they had this vested interest in in them hearing and accepting the message of the gospel because then that person that was on the earth could do work for them or prepare for them when they were born to come and have the gospel on the earth or like in their lives as well. And I, I loved, I mean, in this example, he wasn't speaking specifically about our relatives attending to us, but the relatives of those that we would have influence with. And mm. I I don't know, it just it always created this image in my mind as we like would go up to someone that like we had like this throng of people around that were like really interested in in our success because it would mean good things for them as well. It's a really powerful image. Yeah. Yeah. I mean I also love that doctrine and covenants scripture about angels like on our right and our our left round about us bearing us up i think it really does specifically apply to missionaries because they have to be so bold and courageous in approaching people and introducing the gospel to them my oldest son henry is currently serving a mission in minnesota and when he was set apart as a missionary by our stake president in August, he was reminded that he would have angels round about him, surrounding him. And during that blessing, like I felt it, I felt the presence of specific family member angels who I felt were tasked with that. Like I felt like a great sense of confidence that this wasn't like a stock answer or or something to say in a blessing. It was specific to the situation. So, Henry got to his mission. He served for a couple months in rural Wisconsin, English-speaking, as he was called. And he had been kind of studying his patriarchal blessing, which mentioned that he would speak a foreign language on his mission. And he was confused. Yeah. <laughs> but 
you know, like, okay, well, I kept looking at it in like symbolic terms, you know, you're speaking the language of the gospel. gospel, That is foreign to some people. Anyway, well, then his, his mission president called him one night, the night before transfers in November and said he felt impressed to call him to speak the Quran language, which is spoken by people who live in Myanmar and Western Thailand. There are a lot of refugees, really oppressed people who have come. There's, I guess, quite a large population of them in Minnesota. And he asked Henry to learn this tonal Asian language that uses the Burmese script alphabet. And so he was given permission to call us. It wasn't a P-Day. He called us. He's standing outside in the dark, 20-degree weather in Wisconsin. And he's like, what do I do? And he's like, I have to call him back within two hours and let him know. So we said, "Let's. why don't we say a prayer together right now? So Jeff said the prayer. By the end of the prayer, Henry was overcome with emotion and had had his confirmation that as his patriarchal blessing told him, he could do this. And he should do it. And he would be able to do it. And so he moved to St. Paul, Minnesota the day before Thanksgiving, met his two companions who are teaching him the language because there are very few materials on it. They learned it from their previous companions. Amazing. And he now can say prayers in Quran. He has a name, Blakamu, which means person who speaks the language. I love Great. it. <laughs> Fitting, I guess. It's a sign. And I I felt like through all of these experiences that it was coming full circle. The things that were said by our stake president in his setting apart were coming to fruition. And I felt that he is surrounded by angels. Some of them in this case are real life people, including his two current companions who are so good to him. He was overwhelmed with his, this new assignment on Thanksgiving when he talked to us. And I, I said, you need to, as soon as you hang up with us, you need to go ask your companions for a blessing, which he did. And he told me later that it was the most powerful experience he's had to date in his life. He didn't, his companions didn't even know him at that time and they were overcome with emotion. And so they have been angels and they are angels in his mission. But I, I know from confirmation of the spirit that he's also surrounded by these unseen angels who are helping him with this task. I mean, missionaries are kind of like on this special errand where they're messengers proclaiming the Savior's gospel. And this is what Elder Douglas D. Holmes has said, angels are heavenly beings bearing God's message. In both Hebrew and Greek, the root word of angel is messenger. So, I mean, we know that they come bearing messages, but also maybe to help us when we have a message to deliver from the Lord. So, one of my favorite scriptures is in 2 Nephi chapter 32, verse 3. Angels speak by the power of the Holy Ghost, wherefore they speak the words of Christ. I love that scripture so much, too. And I really feel like my understanding of what that means has kind of evolved over the last few years, because... I think that a lot of the nudges and promptings that we receive are angelic and they're they're spoken to us through the power of the Holy Ghost but maybe they're they're coming from a specific ancestor or relative that is communicating that message. Last December I was in the temple and you know when you go with a question and then you get an answer and you're like dang it <laughs> shoot I do know that feeling um yeah like we had been kind of up in the air about if our family was complete for the past 3 years two and a half at that point I guess and I left the temple like knowing that we were going to have another baby that we needed to. And it was like, it was hard news. 
my pregnancies have been like progressively more difficult with each child. Childbirth has been traumatic on multiple occasions. And also just like our family is kind of like already on a life raft and barely staying afloat. <laughs> like It feels like, you know, we have our hands full. And so I just didn't know how it would work. But I was in the habit of going to the temple every week. And every time I like found a spot in the celestial room to sit, it was like the spirit just like flew at me, like Mm. baby. (laughs) How's that baby coming? Have you thought about the baby? (laughs) And I was just kind of like, like I knew it needed to happen, but I was really scared and I didn't know how it could possibly work. So I think it was the fourth time that I was in the temple thinking about a baby. It was the first time I felt remotely peaceful about this path that I knew we were meant to pursue. And as I was sitting there, I felt this name whispered to my mind, Margaret. And I sat there just wondering like, oh, maybe the baby's going to be a girl and we name her Margaret. But I was not even pregnant. The days after being in the temple, the name Margaret kept coming to my mind and like kind of disrupting my thoughts. And I also had like this nudging hint of a memory that I had an ancestor with that name. And it was my great, great grandmother, Mary Margaret Frazier. So I like I knew a little bit about her. I knew she had come through Ellis Island because like I'd been living in New York and was going to Ellis Island and my my mom was like, oh, your great great grandmother went, you know, came through Ellis Island. And I looked her up and found her record and I was like, that's Indeed cool. She had. She had. And she had been all alone and she was 25 and she had sailed by herself from Scotland. And that was basically everything I knew about her. I kind of like identified a little bit with what I just assumed was an adventurous spirit. Like, (laughs) I was like, oh, look at her. She like came to America all by herself. Like, I do things like that too. (laughs) Like, and then that fall, I, you know, flew to Brussels by myself to go live there for several months. And that's where I turned 25. And I felt like, I don't know, a little bit of like, a connection. A connection with her, yeah. So after, I guess it was like a couple of weeks of like, I'd be making dinner and I would just remember Margaret, Mary Margaret Frazier. And I'm thinking like, I come from a long line of, you know, I have pioneer ancestors. She wasn't one of them, but I tend to think that like all of the temple work has been done. And finally, I looked her up on family search and sure enough her temple work had been done so i'm like why does this woman's name keep coming to me so as i looked her up there were a few photographs and records and there was like a one page life sketch written by my great grandmother her daughter and it just talked about like all of this hardship she had faced in her life her three older siblings died of scarlet fever her mother died after giving birth to her younger sibling um, as a result of complications in childbirth. So she and her one sister were like all alone. They went and lived with an aunt and uncle and their father worked in another town. The last time she saw any of her immediate family members, she was 14 years old. And Mm. I was just like so sad for her. She was essentially all alone in the world and There was like this big gap in the story between 14 and 25 when she sailed to America by herself. I don't know what prompted that, Mm. but she met and married her husband and they had six children. And there at the very bottom of her one page life sketch, there was one quote from her, one thing that she had actually said, and it was this, no matter how hard the way or how many babies you have, You can always make room for them and care for them. There's nothing so wonderful as a family. And Mm. I was like, she's talking to me. She's speaking to you. I really felt like 
My great-great-grandmother had reached through space and time and spoken directly to me. She knew how hard life could be, but she also knew that we could make room for this baby. And I don't know. I love it. (laughs) So so beautiful. She was a messenger to me. Wow. She did speak to you. I think my heavenly parents knew that I needed those really specific words and that I needed them from someone who understood like really hard circumstances and was like well acquainted with hard things and they knew that I needed it from her and and she was the messenger and she had already said the words they were just waiting for me to find them and yeah so it's incredible (laughs) baby Margaret is coming and Margaret (laughs) is such a good name I love it yeah me too it's like distinguished and classic, classically beautiful. I don't know. It's it's just like interesting to me. I obviously never knew this woman. And I don't know. Sometimes it's like hard to believe that a distant relative would like have a vested interest in in our lives now. But there's this quote by President John Taylor that I love. He says, God lives and his eyes are over us and his angels are round and about us. And they are more interested in us than we are in ourselves 10,000 times, but we do not know it. Mm, that's so beautiful. I just think it was it was important for me. I mean, there's there's so many people that are, you know, willing to be encouraging, like good friends, my mom, my sisters, but like yeah. it couldn't have come from them. Like none of them could have said the thing that would have made me feel like okay in moving forward with this. Yeah. It had to come from, I don't know. It just, it kind of had to come from her. Yeah. I don't know. No, that makes sense. Plus you had, you had already had like this history with her, like these connections and it had been kind of this story building where you were pondering the thing and considering the thing. And you kept having all these, kind of like promptings or insights from specifically her. Yeah. Yeah. So even after, like a few weeks after this experience of finding her life sketch and finding this quote and like having these words just like go straight to my heart and I knew that they were for me from her, (laughs) I had a dream. It was almost like I I wasn't in it. I was just observing Mm -hmm. and it was like these two different scenes and they were really, I don't know how else to describe it other than like really tightly cropped. It was like a close up of, okay, so the first scene was a woman sitting in a rocking chair and she was in like period clothing. Like she looked very much like out of the 1800s. She had a dark dress on had long sleeves and a high neck there was lace at the cuffs and at the top of the collar and there was like a pink blanket folded on her lap that she was just kind of like handling the the edge of it just kind of like running her fingers over it repeatedly and it was just like a it was a really tight tightly knitted blanket so there was that scene and then it was like a cut to another scene and it was a man in a heavy apron like made of like thick canvas or almost like rubber and he was working he was standing at a workbench it was really dark but there was like a light on the workbench and it was shining on his hands and that was like pretty much all i could see was that he had a like a square of stone in front of him that was flat but he was carving a relief of like a celtic knot in this Mm. stone and just like refining it so it would you know stand out more from the background and and that was it i when i woke up i initially had like this thought about the chiseling being like i was the stone and the man Mm. chiseling was like God working on me. (laughs) And then like over the next couple of days, I remembered that this ancestor of mine, Mary Margaret Fraser, was married to a stonemason named William. And I just had this impression that 
that was them in this dream, that it was Mary Margaret holding the blanket, sitting in the rocking chair, and William standing at the workbench, chiseling the Celtic knot. And I think both of them had these symbols of connectedness and like, Mm. yeah, the woven blanket that, well, eternity and also like our families. Yeah. And I, it felt important that like they taught me that these, I don't know, that a lot of the influence that we receive spiritually does come from ancestors, even if we feel like they're so distant or, you know, we don't know very much about them, but we're all connected and we're all woven together. They're still like woven very in a very real way into our lives right now. Well, they're distant through like time through the years, but I think if we look at what we understand about the spirit world, they're not distant. Like they're here. They know us. They are connected. Those knots of family relationships, they are close by. Yeah, for sure. I like the symbols in that. Like it's really, it like added this whole other layer of meaning to the dream. Yeah, it did. And it was, it really, it taught me and I've, I've had like additional confirmation that it was them in that dream. Oh, I love that. It just gives me chills. Yeah, kind of back to this idea that angels typically like reach out to us in order to comfort or provide some kind of reassuring connection. Elder Holland said, I testify of angels, both the heavenly and the mortal kind. In doing so, I am testifying that God never leaves us alone, never leaves us unaided in the challenges that we face, nor will he so long as time shall last or the earth shall stand, or there shall be one man or woman or child upon the face thereof to be saved. I mean, that's like so beautifully reassuring. And I'm going to tell you yet another story about when my son Jack left home at age 13. So two days before he was set to go to his placement, I had been kind of like working toward this for three weeks. Like we were desperate. We needed help. It was time. Everything was, it was like the path was unfolding and things were falling into place. It was right. Having Jack go into residential care was not the outcome I wanted. I did not want it. It was the last thing I wanted. It was like the last resort. But when it was time, God was like, it's time now and I will help you do it. There was no way that I could explain to Jack meaningfully what was going to happen in the next couple of days, how his whole life would change. I couldn't prepare him for it in any way. It was just coming and I felt like I couldn't even help him through it. It just felt so wrong. Yeah. Helpless. Awful. But he probably had angels helping him too. I think he did. Finally, it was two nights before he was going to leave It was the night before his 13th birthday and my husband and I were getting ready for bed, just laying there and it just like hit me like this was going to happen and I couldn't change it and I couldn't stop it. I said to Jeff, I don't think I can do this. And I said, if there were any possible way to keep Jack at home, I would do it. I would do anything. And I said, is there no other way? Like that question we've probably all asked at some point. And only Jeff could answer this with any kind of comfort for me. He said, there is no other way. And I I said to him, I know, but I I don't know if I can do it. And 
as we lay there together and he was just holding me as I wept, I felt the presence of four women with me. Like I, it was like, I felt them like patting my neck and shoulders and I knew who they were. It was like, it was like their names were just ticking off to me. It was my husband's stepmom, Beverly. It was grandma Goats, my aunt Colleen and my grandma Lila. And these were four women who had experienced hardship in life. Like they'd been through it. And I felt that that's why they were coming to my aid because they knew, they knew about loss. And I just, it was like, I felt them around my head. Like my head was just lying on the pillow and I felt comfort. Like they were just there to help me. There was nothing they could do to change it, but their presence was so reassuring. They just brought like love and understanding with them and they stayed with me. And then my husband, like the real life physical angel also stayed with me. And two days later, I was able to place Jack in residential care and it was the worst day of my life. And we did it. And from that point, it got better. Everything got better. And we have seen miracles transpire and continue to transpire in his life. But I had to take that hard step. And those four women helped me through it, as did my husband. This is what Elder Robert D. Hales has said about enduring great pain. He, by the way, was, he knew about great physical pain from like illness and aging He said, I learned that I would not be left alone to meet these trials and tribulations, but the guardian angels would attend me. There were some that were near angels in the form of doctors, nurses, and most of all, my sweet companion, Mary. And on occasion, when the Lord so desired, I was to be comforted with visitations of heavenly hosts that brought comfort and eternal reassurances in my time of need. That's what I experienced. I experienced a visitation that brought comfort an eternal reassurance in that time of great need. And honestly, I don't know if I could have done it without them. It's amazing. I do think, though, that the comfort and reassurance and, like, courage that angels can bring, it's like there's not another source that could match that power. One of the distinctions that President Nelson has said a few things about this, but so has President Oaks, like how exactly people do perceive angels. Like, are they seen? Do we actually hear voices? Is there a bright light? And this is what President Oaks said about how angels communicate with us as mortals. The ministering of angels can also be unseen. Angelic messages can be delivered by a voice or merely by thoughts or feelings communicated to the mind. Nephi described three manifestations of the ministering of angels when he reminded his rebellious brothers that they had seen an angel, that they had heard his voice from time to time, and also that an angel had spoken unto them in a still small voice, though they were past feeling and could not feel his words." And then he concludes saying, most angelic communications are felt or heard rather than seen. This reminds me of that story that President Nelson told in general conference about like the two young sisters that he did heart surgery on. They both died. Mm -hmm. He wasn't able to save them. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah. So it was this family that their children were born with like this rare heart defect. And I think they had a son that had died of it. And then they had heard of President Nelson and his renown and they brought their two daughters to him and he operated on them and they they died following surgery. And he described it as spiritually shattering to the parents. Mm. They were estranged from him and the church for years and years and years. And Regularly, President Nelson reached out to the parents trying to reconcile with them, and they would not give him an audience. They were not interested in anything he had to say. 
President Nelson said that he was just haunted by this situation and he grieved for the Hatfields for six decades. Like he repeatedly tried to reach out to them and was never successful. So back in 2015, he was awakened in the night when the two little girls from the other side of the veil came to him. He said, I did not see or hear them with my physical senses. I felt their presence. Spiritually, I heard their pleadings. Their message was brief and clear. Brother Nelson, we are not sealed to anyone. Can you help us? Soon after, he learned that the mother had passed away, but their father and younger brother were still alive. And because of this visitation in the night, he was feeling like an added measure of courage to seek out this father once again. And finally, he was willing to meet with him. President Nelson said, I literally knelt in front of Jimmy, the father, now 88 years old, and had a heart-to-heart talk with him. I spoke to him of his daughter's pleadings and told him I would be honored to perform sealing ordinances for his family. The two living members of the family had never been endowed, so it was a process for them to prepare and make the changes necessary to be ready to enter the temple, but they accepted the offer and they worked diligently with leaders. And then in 2016, President Nelson was able to seal this family in the Payson Temple. That is such an incredible witness from a prophet on how angels can interact with us and communicate with us. Like, we don't have to see them. He didn't even hear their voices physically, and yet he knew they were there and he knew who they were. And he knew their message. That's so powerful. I think often this type of communication, like he said, is a brief, clear message. It's not going to be like really verbose, like lengthy communication. It's like direct communicating what is needed and then it's done. Right. So I think we've established that angels minister to all of us, not just prophets, not just they're here with us now and we are we're benefiting from their care and attentions. Yeah. They minister to everyone, even women. That's right. They actually spell it out. Prophets have and and scripture. Mm-hmm. And they rarely say mention women yeah, in the like scriptures. Not specifically. So when Joseph Smith was organizing the Relief Society and I don't know, promising like very specific blessings to the women that were there and that would come as part of this organization. He said, if you live up to your privilege, the angels cannot be restrained from being your associates. Mm. Like, they can't be restrained. They will be all around you. And he said it specifically to the women of the church. Yeah, which harkens back to that scripture in, is it in Alma? Yeah, Alma 32. Verse 23, and now he imparteth his word by angels unto men, yea, not only men, but women also. Now this is not all. Little children do have words given unto them many times, which confound the wise and the learned. It's really rare in scripture that something's pointed out that it's given to women. It's usually just like they use the man, mankind, blanket phrase. Which is annoying, but whatever. <laughs> In this case, they spell it out. Women, too. Yes. And and also little children. They're probably the most receptive. Probably. So they're always there. Yep. Angels. It's like whether or not we acknowledge them. Angels exist. They're all around us. They are ministering to us. They are invested in our well-being. And they're probably our family members related to us. It's beautiful. Elder Holland said, On occasions, global or personal, we may feel we are distanced from God. 
shut out from heaven, lost, alone in dark and dreary places. Even then, the Father of us all is watching and assisting. And always there are those angels who come and go all around us, seen and unseen, known and unknown, mortal and immortal. Hydrate, get some sleep, take care of yourself, and dream deeply. You can find notes from today's show on our website, dreamsiclepodcast.com. Also, follow us on Instagram at dreamsicle.podcast. Click subscribe wherever you listen to make sure you never miss an episode.